You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 361, where we'll be discussing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and the marketing of movies. I'm your host, Tim. And I'm Ian. Ian, man, it is always a pleasure just to hear your voice on the <laughs> podcast. I hope the listeners out there appreciate it the same way I do. When you jump on the pod and I just hear, I'm Ian. I don't know. You know you're in for a good time. <laughs> Back home, I don't know if people would say that the uh, Birmingham accent isn't known to be the most attractive of the uh, oh, British it's, accents. It's music to my ears, <laughs> music to my ears, and I and I love it. And man, we're gonna we got a lot of fun tonight. Actually, you know, it's it's been a it's you missed a week here. Sanjay and I had a chat last week, a bit of an OG chat about some movie stuff, and we thought we kind of continue that on. This has been an ongoing thread for the past three weeks or so, talking a bit more about movies and experiences inside of movies. And we thought this week that we'd actually step back and look at the marketing of movies. Now, neither of us are marketing gurus, but we are consumers of these films and consumers, of course, of the marketing. And so at the back half of the episode here, we're actually going to break down how we are influenced by the marketing of movies. And it'd be interesting to hear what you guys have to say about that as well. And we're also going to talk about two big comic book movies of 2023. The first one being Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yes, we are a little bit late to the discussion with this one, but I just saw it last week and I thought we could have a few minute discussion about that film, its legacy, the trilogy a little bit, and then also jump into the latest comic book movie of 2023, and that is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Neither of us have seen it, so no threat of spoilers here, but Ian, this ranks amongst your most anticipated of the year and that franchise amongst your favorite in the comic book movie genre correct mm-hmm. that's right yeah the uh yeah. into spider verse is is actually my, my favorite comic book movie of all time um and yeah just like the hype behind this is is just fantastic like i'm just so excited to see it uh unluckily i cannot see it when everyone else gets to see it this weekend um because in japan we do have a slightly later release which is two weeks late which is really gonna suck um, but other than that, man, I'm I'm just all over this. Like just seeing how people are talking about it online, uh, the reviews that are coming out of this thing are, are just insane. Uh, I saw a poll today where people were talking about which is going to be the best comic book movie uh, franchise movie coming out this this summer, and actually Across the Spider Verse is is winning like by a considerable amount. So it just shows that a lot of people are behind this movie, and a lot of people are excited about it. And yeah, just just uh, getting into it is is been great. I've received some figures just the other day of the mm-hmm. Spider Gwen and uh, and Miles, and they're just beautiful looking figures. Hot Toys have announced their Hot Toys versions as well. Um, I have the the into the Spider Verse version, so yeah, I'm considering getting the Across Spider Verse ones too. And yeah, man, like just everything about the movie is 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 just fantastic. That first one, I actually did a rewatch a couple of days ago just to kind of prepare yeah, myself and you know I, I went for a period where I was watching it all the time like it was probably the my most rewatched movie of of the year last year um I just couldn't stop watching that movie even after it came out and I took a break from it because you know I didn't want to be in a situation where I've just had had it too much and I'm then not as excited for Across the Spider-Verse because mm. I've had this kind of um, overdose of, of animated Spider-Man. Um, but I watched it the other day and man, like, it's, it's just a perfect movie from start to finish. Like how amazing the animation is, how brilliant the, the music is, um, you know, how developed, well-developed the characters are for that movie. And just the, the kind of care and attention that went into that movie is is just something else. And just hearing like now Across the Spider-Verse is going to be even better than that. And they've taken things a step further. Uh, I, I just I just can't even believe that that would be possible. So, yeah, the hype's there, man. I'm super excited for it. Yeah, I wish you got to see it opening weekend with the rest of the world because I do know how hyped you are for this. And it's a movie that I need to revisit 
what is it into the spider verse mm-hmm. the first one there to get prepped for across the spider verse and this is a two-parter as well so there's likely going to be a pretty substantial cliffhanger yep. i would imagine at the end of this movie that leads us into the the next piece of this spider verse puzzle that sony has pulled together here and yes the original was hailed by james gunn as his favorite or one of his favorite comic book movies of all time and yeah, that's right, yeah. the, the praise online for this is wild and it's actually interesting because we're going to talk about this in in a few minutes the marketing and movies and we we can bring that movie actually into the discussion as to what's influencing you the most like Mm -hmm. is it the fact that james gunn came out and said that is it the fact that you love this character and this franchise this specific franchise so much that's getting you in is it the marketing is it the trailers the word of mouth like these are the things that we're going to elaborate on in just a few minutes when we talk about the more holistic idea of marketing and how that influences us, what are our eyeballs seeing and what is driving us to the movie theater and maybe what's holding us back from the movie theater as well. And so we're going to pull that whole thing into the conversation here. But before we get into that, yep. kind of just really driving off of your hype here, we got to take a step back into what was my most anticipated movie of 2023 and my first pick in the Nerd Room box office fantasy pool, and that is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, we're not going to do a full review here. We're just going to talk a bit about this franchise and this movie in particular because it does mark a relatively finite ending for this iteration of the guardians of the galaxy the one shepherded by james gunn and the one with this cast of characters this misfit this bunch of a-holes that has become near and dear to the hearts of a huge population of people if you had told me just before this came out that we would be talking about volume three here in 2023 and how endeared this character this set of characters is to a fan base and to a GA, really, my daughters and my daughter included, I would have called you crazy, but it <laughs> works. There's something about these characters. We have a tree, a raccoon, a wrestler, a green woman, and a guy from a sitcom. If I can really put a stereotype <laughs> on each one of those people, they're much more than that now, of course. But going into this, I remember the first thing I actually remember hearing about Guardians of the Galaxy. Very excited about the movie. I read the comic books in, in the 2000s when they were really starting to get momentum and they had revamped the cosmic side of the universe. But I remember, I believe it was Alan Taylor who directed the second Thor movie, mm-hmm. the guy who originally was guarding or Game of Thrones. And there's an end credit scene at the end of Thor of the Dark World where we get our first introduction of the collector. And there is a certain aesthetic to that scene. And I remember... Alan Taylor, the director of Thor, the Dark World, saying, I did not direct that. That was all James Gunn. And there was this immediate question on Guardians of the Galaxy in the public because of that comment. People saying, like, I don't know, is it too James Gunn? What are they doing here? Is this cosmic just too wacky and out there? Like, you go back to the scene, it's fine. It's very much the aesthetic of Guardians. It was filmed during the production of Guardians, of course. But there was this immediate I would say hesitation from those of us really involved in the community because of that reaction. Alan Taylor was seen as a very respected director because of what he did in Game of Thrones. And to have that be the first impression, and now we're sitting in a world where Volume 3 has come out, it's being hailed as one of the best MCU movies, It potentially capping off the best trilogy of films, and probably being the most emotional film in the mcu so there's a lot to unpack in this one but ian i just kind of want to get your thoughts you've expressed your thoughts online and had some discussions and all that but what was this movie for you and how did you walk out of the theater feeling did you have that real finite ending to it were you happy were you sad were you pleased with how this trilogy really wrapped up uh yeah so to answer the first question i guess the the guardians for me um Going going into the first movie, like it's interesting hearing your your take on it because of course you were familiar with the characters from the comic books. Um, for for me, going into the the first Guardians movie, I had no idea who these these characters were. I'd heard of a couple of them, but I'd never read them. I didn't really know much about them. Uh, and I think that was one of those things, kind of like Into the Spider Verse, where you know that first experience was kind of mind blowing. Like I just didn't expect mm-hmm. it. And I came out of the cinema thinking like this is the best, you know, MC movie I've ever seen. Like this, this is just incredible. And 
I fell in love with those characters very early on. Second movie came out and again, it was just the same thing all over again. It was just a, a beautifully told movie. It was so emotional. Mm-hmm. And again, I was just really invested in the, in the characters. Um, and then, of course, we got to see them in a little in, in the um, Infinity War and Avengers stuff. But there's just those standalone movies uh, I, I felt did something very special. James Gunn has a, a way of kind of bringing new characters uh, in and just making you really care about them. And, you know, he has yeah, this ability to take these really unique characters and make them so different, but then work together as a team. And it's it must yeah. take a really, uh, you know, it takes a lot of skill to do that. I, I just I don't know how he pulls it off every single time. So, yeah, yeah. you know, going Peacemaker to- and Suicide Squad, Guardians, like he's he's got three big franchises with ensemble casts under his belt that have all been wildly successful from like a pure critical standpoint. Yeah. Suicide Squad suffered a little bit because of the pandemic and all that, but like all of those movies, the most common denominator is like you said, unique characters, Mm -hmm. character actors, and you care about every single person in the movie. Exactly. Yeah. And I see, I mean, like even the first movie, you know, everybody cried at the end of that first movie. You're crying you know, because mm-hmm. we lose a character that we've just met, you know, less than two hours ago. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's he's a brilliant kind of storyteller, but he's also great with characters. Um, so, yeah, that was it. Like, you know, going from the second one again, I knew the third one was going to be good just because, you know, it's, it was James Gunn. Um, and the, the third one delivered man it was just the absolutely beautiful story um i think the when it first started there was a point maybe maybe an hour or so in or a bit less where i thought i don't know you know this is this gonna be as good as the first two and i was i was Mm. enjoying it but i wasn't thinking wow this is like blowing my mind like there's nothing i've seen so far it's like this really stands out except for certain little moments with the with the um animals with rocket and the teeths and floor and I forgot that like Lila, Lila, Lila. Um, but yeah, just then as it just started to move towards the, the kind of end of the story, it, it was just fantastic, man. And, you know, there was times where I was just, I was glad I went by myself because I was just a mess, man. Like <laughs> I was three times. I, was three, I cried three times. This <laughs> yeah, right. So did you, did you, t- so sorry, did you take, you went with your, you both your daughters? Yes. Wow. Okay. No, just the older oh, just one. Just the one. The older one. Just the older one. Yeah. Okay. How did she handle certain scenes in that? Was it tough? Because, like, the animals, like, that was hard, man. She was okay. And I asked her several times throughout that. And, like, I had warned her before that there were some emotional moments in this and that she had needed to understand, you know, this is a movie and all that. Um, the scene that probably bothered me the most with her is the is the high evolutionary's face. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> when beautiful. that happened. I was like, <laughs> that was like horrendous. And I was like, holy man, like this is worse than the Red Skull. This is the most graphic thing in an MC movie by far. Yeah, that hit them showing his face. And they like linger on it, too. I was like, holy shit. Like I almost I, I went and I hesitated and I looked at her and then I went to cover her eyes and she was okay because i was like this is like i don't want you waking up having nightmares with a high evolutionary with no face mm. <laughs> like, that, was, yeah, that was pretty that's... that was something but she handled it pretty well i'd say like and i went with my friend and he had two kids one the same age as my daughter and one that was older and they were all fine coming out of it. they really enjoyed it okay yeah i think like if i'd go with my daughter i think it'd be she's she wouldn't really be bothered so much by the the gory side of things she's not so scared by stuff like that but i think she kind of gets quite emotional with kind of character deaths and stuff and i think you know seeing some animals yeah. die would probably be pro- probably pretty tough for her um mm-hmm. but yeah yeah like uh, just going back to the movie like it was just it was just fantastic and like that the way they wrapped that thing up at the end you know i just wanted to get up and dance in the cinema i know everybody else did and it mm. was just a really great kind of closing to to the story and there was there were surprises man like there were things that were really surprising there's things that afterwards i thought about more and i liked more um especially the stuff with like gamora like there was a point Mm -hmm. where i'm like oh man i wish they did get together because just you know in volume two they'd work so well together and they you kind of were rooting for them to be a pair but you also realized that she wasn't the same 
Gamora and it kind of was a, it was weird when they sometimes in the movie refer to her as being the same person and I'm like yeah she, she's kind of not even though she is from mm-hmm. a different time you know just things change people right um, but I saw some like really interesting takes on that afterwards where people are saying like you know it was a good representation of you know when you're in a relationship and you break up with someone and you don't see each other for a long time and then when you see each other again you kind of you know recognize each other but you don't know each other it's kind of like you're strangers mm-hmm. but you know who they are and it's the same you know yeah. and also in relationships when you have these breakups there's always one person who takes it a lot harder than the other person one person who kind of fights for it and the other person who is the one who's trying to get out of it and it's a good kind of representation of that kind of breakup of between two people um so i think a lot of people could kind of relate to that and you know i know i could as well so i thought that was that was really good too um and yeah it's like i mean i'm i think the one thing i really love about guardians as as well kind of again like the into the spider-verse thing is like it has a connection to marvel and it has connection to other characters but it can also stand alone it can be its own little thing yeah and i think that's you know that's a great way to do these kind of movies sometimes we're they're too connected um and we have to watch everything to kind of understand the other one and they rely on other characters and that's one thing that the guardians don't do there there's no reliance on anything else it tells its own story there is that connection to other stories but you don't need to know about those stories completely to you know really appreciate these movies so yeah, it's absolutely- I think to a degree, like if there is that criticism sometimes with the MCU that you you have to watch so much and there's all this legacy and all that. It's no different than it's like a trilogy. You kind of have to watch one and two at least mm-hmm. to fully appreciate what's going on inside of three to a degree to get all the emotional. Oh yeah, so that. I mean, like and- as the movies, the I mean, what I mean is like the actual trilogy. You do have to see all three movies for sure. Like yeah. you'd have to see all those movies. But I, I mean, I don't think you have to care about any of the other MCU stuff to a mm-hmm. point like you can still sit down and just watch these three movies and really enjoy them um without yeah, having to like sure. fill in gaps all the time yeah how yeah 100 and like this is it's it's the it's the one film that benefits from being off in its own off in its own world where it can it, i guess infinity war and endgame did have this uh, this gomorrah effect on it but i listened to an interesting interview from james gunner was a written interview where he had originally proposed to kill gomorrah in volume two and run with a very similar-esque story into volume three with Peter Quill and him dealing with the death of Gamora. And I guess when he said that he eventually decided not to do that, and when the Russos called him and said, hey, we're thinking about this, what are your thoughts on it? He was like, actually, I've thought of a lot of those threads already. And so I think there's there's a little discussion maybe about oh the Russos did this and kind of screwed James Gunn but I think one he agreed to it and two I think that was part of at least a thought process that he had gone through in the past all right that's that's interesting what do you you do with that yeah it's interesting you said that because that that's actually quite good to know I think like I I read an article on a couple of things on it too and it's just it's funny how you have these different takes doesn't seem like anybody knows what actually happened with that like the thing I saw was they said no, they I... said that Gun he didn't know that they were gonna ki- they didn't ask him permission, but he said that he actually if they had asked him he would have said it's fine, and I think he said that the only thing that he didn't like was that um, Quill punching Thanos and causing yeah and like that's he, something that he, he makes to... a comment about that in the movie. Well, that's it. Well, that's <laughs> it. Like he had to then bring that into the movie to make a comment. It's kind of like a bit of a dig at that decision mm-hmm. in the movie which i thought was quite funny um but to be honest like i think your your take sounds more plausible to me i can't see them not asking him or not telling him at least what well they were doing, right? and he's he's a producer on infinity war i believe and if you look at that opening scene at least with the guardians that feels very much like it had a james gunn influence on it like that very first scene when they're going in and they're talking about robbing the people and but saving them and the winking back and forth, if you remember all that, their first introduction with the the music and all that, that felt very James Gunn-esque. Like I think there's definitely liberties were taken with it, but I would hazard a guess that he had at least some influence on it, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not a no, you can't do this, but 
I would think that as creatives, the Russos at least would have talked to him about it. I don't see a world where they just did that. And then James Gunn showed up one day and said, wait, you killed Gamora. So I have to find this article that I read and I'm almost certain it was James Gunn doing, being interviewed saying like, yeah, or there, there's something along those lines that I did read where he was aware of it and it had something he had thought about in the past. And I always go back to, so there's a show called Sons of Anarchy. I don't know if you've ever watched it uh, yeah. or if any of the listeners ever watch it. Fantastic show. Very violent, but I really loved it. The writer, Kurt Sutter, um, who plays one of the characters in there, he he wrote it. He wrote The Wire as well. He had a comment. So there's two characters in there, and I don't want to spoil anything, but there's two characters in there that have a very tight relationship. One of them eventually dies, and he makes a comment. He was a fan favorite character and all this. He makes a comment that there was nowhere else to go with the relationship between these two characters Therefore, one of them had to die. They're just going in circles. And that's the way I kind of felt and I relate to Gamora and Peter Quill is that there was nowhere else for them to go inside of that relationship. They were very tight, very close together. Yes, they could have gotten married, but the dynamic that they bring into the third movie and changing that up, although it's not the quote unquote happy ending, maybe that we all wanted for them, it definitely brings a new dynamic to their relationship and it makes the movie feel different than the other ones i think it's an interesting and important thread inside of the guardians that that has changed and she finds her family elsewhere and not with him and so it allows him then to go off into what looks like a legendary star lord show or movie down the road at some point as well where he Mm -hmm. is able to dislocate himself from the guardians and so that one decision I think actually cascades very nicely into the story and into where everyone ends up at the end of end of the movie. And so I, I kind of, I've always liked that idea and that thread that I've picked up from Kurt Sutter on, on characters and how you can only do so much with a relationship before something dramatic has to change. Yeah. And sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say just to add to that, like the, another show that's just uh, finished recently was succession. I don't know if you watched that. It's another absolutely no. fantastic show. It's, and the finale was um, was recently the the kind of whole series finale, and I already think about uh, about the writers of that, and they were saying the same same kind of thing. You know, they they had all these ideas for how who could kind of take over this company at the end, and you know where it's going to go at the end, and it's kind of the same thing where you know there's only certain you know there's only a certain amount of um, development that they can go with to get to a point where you know you've got to make changes and you've got to do something new and you've got to do something mm. that people not necessarily don't expect but something that's going to be a little bit more realistic or something that's going to be a little bit more interesting or a bit more engaging or you know take the story in different directions and that's exactly what they did with the finale everyone expected one yeah. certain thing to happen because it was really the only thing that could happen and what they did was they made it not happen and it made it so much more refreshing and so much more interesting mm-hmm. and so much more kind of real life and and it was really good like i i can see you can tell when a writer has a good grasp of you know storytelling when they make those decisions yeah it's it's really tough sometimes to make those decisions but i think a good creative will make those decisions because you can't become complacent with relationships and the story like it has to progress and sometimes it has to take big leaps and big evolutionary steps in how the characters are developed and how the story is, is rolling out. If you're trying to get to an end point that is realistic, where essentially all these characters more or less go their own way to a degree. Unless, unless your name's uh, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some decisions are, are sh- shouldn't be made. <laughs> no, this is true. Some, you can't, you can't, you can't make leap decisions in uh, in the middle of a movie. Sometimes we're in the middle of a trilogy, but that's a conversation for maybe for another day. But last thing I'll touch on here is, is the rocket piece. Yeah. It, uh, it was quite a bold choice. I think to have what turns out to be probably your main character of the trilogy lie on a table, essentially in the present timeline for the majority of the movie Mm. and to tell his story via flashbacks and to really dig into that as an origin piece. Now, this non-linear storytelling of Rocket's origin, and they didn't just pause for 10 minutes in the movie and tell this. This was back and forth, and how it was kind of interfingered into what was going on in the present was really cool. Mm-hmm. So they that was, I think, a bold choice, but it really set itself apart from 
some of the very direct linear stories that are told in the MCU. And it gave it a, a pretty dynamic feel to it is this constant flashback. And you got to appreciate rocket as it went. And you got to see what the, all the other characters were doing. Like it, it just, it felt fresh, you know, to steal a word from you, it felt different. And it allowed us to have several very intimate moments with rocket and it broke up the Guardian story a little bit too, the action and all that, and slowed you down. So it kind of took you on this bit of a roller coaster because, like, as you're popping in and out of some of those scenes, specifically the scene where he essentially is is going towards the light, and Lila turns him around and says, "You know, in the, my favorite movie in the line, I'm getting chills thinking about it." Is like this has been your story the whole time. Yeah, like that was that was them talking to the audience, yeah, and I thought sure. it was such a cool way of doing it. And it, it all just worked and came together. And it was such a beautiful movie. And it makes me so happy that the best two trilogies in my favorite franchise are the Captain America and Guardians trilogy. And I would put the Guardians trilogy at the top of that list. Yeah, me too. And me too. It, it's it's just, just phenomenal. And, you know, someday I'd love to dig into Guardians a little more because there, there's such a rich history to that franchise. And it is a testament to trusting in the direction of your creative and the MCU sometimes struggles with that because they have very specific things that need to happen for the universe. But I, I do remember reading an article about with James Gunn talking about his first couple interviews with Kevin Feige and his original script for guardians and Kevin Feige denied his first script. And he said, this isn't James Gunn enough. Go back and put you into this. Hmm. And so it was, they were really searching for something from him. And man, did they get something like I, I tweeted out the other day, a fun fact, this is only the third MCU trilogy to have all three installments gross over $300 million domestically. Mm. And the only other two are Iron Man and Spider-Man. And so that's, that's good company they're keeping like the cat films didn't do it. The Thor films didn't do it. Yeah. They were released at different times, but you have to remember like that original guardians movie outgross winter soldier. Yeah. In that year in 2014, when it came out. Yeah, I mean, back then people were like, I mean, they were marketing it as a, you know, even in reviews and stuff as a, a modern day Star Wars. And it kind of very much felt yeah. like that. And I think that's, mm. that's again, you know, Star Wars is it was one of those franchises that too kind of focuses a lot on the characters and you kind of fall in love with such a wide array of characters. And mm -hmm. that's one thing that Guardians does. You know, Guardians has taken these characters that people are not so familiar with and they've made them you know household names they've made them people's favorites you know i had i mm -hmm. i can't i would never have predicted that nebula would become one of my favorite mcu characters mm -hmm. of all time like you know by the end of this i'm like she's probably my i she i might even say she's my favorite like even you know rocky you can't go wrong by saying that rocky is uh, you know the v the vigilante 39 guys were talking about it on their podcast and just talking about his development um throughout the mcu mm -hmm. and how he's probably the best out of any of the characters um and you know I, I kind of agree with them there but i also think nebula just to see you know where she's come from and, and where she ends up and you know she's one of those kind of underrated characters she kind of doesn't get noticed enough and i think you know she's really well written the the performance you know everything she's she's such a great character and for james Gunn to be able to do that i think is, is something quite special yeah and i think a lot of people forget about the amount of screen time and character development she got in infinity war and endgame as well that's right yeah like she is she plays a major part in that she was also one of the ones that survived the snap and so her presence is felt right through those two avengers films and you're right. I think she she may have you'd have we'd have to step back and really look at this, but she may have the most well written and well developed character arc in all of the MCU. And that includes like the big three and all that mm -hmm. that, you know, Captain America, he progresses, but he's essentially the same ish guy as when he started in the MCU at the end of the MCU. Mm -hmm. Realistically, right? Iron Man progresses, but he goes down. I would say what you could call maybe a relatively predictable path. And Thor is kind of ping ponged all over the place. But if you look for consistency and character development, Nebula, it would be hard to argue against her being the best, to be honest with you. Yeah. And she, I mean, she overtook her sister. You kind of saw Gamora very quickly go from this kind of badass into 
someone who's a little bit more caring and stuff and you know mm. it kind of implies that she was like that all along and she's you know it was all kind of a, a trick to to get thanos um but you know nebula is is one that she's really struggled with who she is and and her past and you know being tortured mm. and stuff and she's she finds it hard to kind of let go of everything that she's being made into but she, you know she's actually the one she's she's the most kind of conflicted character out of you know all of these these MCU characters and just for her to find her path uh, and the way that she's done it through all these different movies um to then end up with the guardians and be someone who's trying to protect mm-hmm. the galaxy and caring for a team of people and sacrificing herself to save people i think is you know i don't think there is a better character arc in in the mcu no and it's interesting and i don't have as much experience with or with uh nebula from the comics but nebula's story if i'm rem- remembering all the stuff right i would say that there's shades of gamora's comic book story inside of of Nebula's MCU arc, to be mm. honest with you, like Gamora is is a lot different in the comic books, especially the early stuff, um, like the baddest person or baddest per, like I can't remember what they call her, like the most lethal person, or the baddest person in, in the galaxy, and all that. So, like, she definitely is a lot different. Like, like all these characters are different in the comic books. Like Peter Quill, when he was reintroduced in two thousand six, two thousand six or seven, was like a cyborg with brown hair. these characters change quite a bit drax is probably one of the more consistent but his like character is not that at all like he's not like a literal yeah sort of character that doesn't it's very very different but he is a especially in he's got a series called drax's story which is actually quite good for issue miniseries that leads into annihilation and he he's quite caring and compassionate and he goes through a rebirth inside of that as well so his his character in that mini series transforms from the old character that used to have a cape with a skull thing. And he's very, very odd, very like seventies character. And inside of that, he transforms into the more modern look of, of Drax. And inside of that, he, he kind of goes on a journey. So the, the books are, are phenomenal. Like they're so good, but and the movies are their own thing, which is cool too, which I love. Like James Gunn played pretty fast and loose with a lot of the source material, which is, which is pretty cool, but he works in things like Sylvester Stallone's character, like Martin X and Charlie 27 and all that from the original guardians. And so there's a lot there and it's, it's for maybe for another podcast, we can deep dive into some of the guardians history and lore. Cause it's, it is probably my favorite part of Marvel comics as well. Um, but Ian, let, let's, let's talk about some marketing here. You know, we, 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 we kind of just cook this thing up in the background because one of the things that's, that's fascinated me in the past, like even since we started doing this podcast was the idea of marketing films. And like I said at the top, neither you or I are are marketing people. We're not gurus. We're not involved. We have no idea really how successful one thing is there. We haven't pulled any analytics or really broached any professional on providing insight into all this. But we're going to talk to this from the consumer angle because we are always seeing marketing and hearing about marketing budgets. You know, these are things that we discuss because we have a little bit of involvement in the box office and because of our pool. And, you know, we, we look at these things and we, we find fascination in them that marketing in some of these movies can exceed the production budget. So they're, they're spending more on the marketing than they are to put the movie together. Endgame spent $200 million on marketing. Some of these smaller films like your Get Out or Quiet Place and all that, they they were produced for under $30 million and spent upwards of $50 million on marketing. Mm. And it always has blown my mind because obviously if studios are spending this amount of money that it is working to a degree, it is translating into at least that and then more. Because what you would want from marketing, if you spend $200 million, it results in $400 million worth of revenue gain, if you will, right? That you're not just dumping money and getting nothing in return. And so I I thought like, where does all this money go? Was my first question. And I kind of looked it up and of course it goes to television advertisement. That's probably the lion's share of it, putting trailers during Super Bowl, putting trailers during the Oscars or during whatever, right? And finding time during college basketball and all this. Then the second is digital advertising. So really your social media piece of all of it where you're things, seeing things pop up on on advertisements on Facebook or whatever, the little columns on websites. And then there is your more traditional visual 
advertising where you billboards and posters and bus wraps and the things you see in movie theaters. And then there's the merchandising and licensing piece of it that they dump money into. So like everything from cups at Cineplex to the action figures and the licensing deals that put through there. And then there's the publicity tours, which is where the actors and all that fly around and go to these different premieres and openings and kind of hype the film up. And so you can see when you list it all out, you can see, okay, there's a lot of money there to put this together. But my, like my question, my first question for you, Ian, is what is what is most significant? So this is what what you consider, I guess, the tangible advertising. So the things that they actually spend money on. We're going to start with that. And then we're going to move into the intangible things like word of mouth and the directors and actors participating in it, like having those people in the movie, does that influence you? But of the tangible advertising, what is it that gets you? Is it TV? Is it the trailers? Is it the toys? Like what is driving you to increase your hype in a movie? From this tangible From a marketing piece of point of view, oh, that's that's a difficult question. Yeah, I thought of marketing, I could answer quite easily. But I think I think within marketing, like I think it has to be trailers for me. Like mm-hmm. you know, I'm not someone. You see these billboards and, and big posters and stuff go up around Tokyo here, and you have these big you know screens that have these 3D images coming out and stuff, and it's all cool. But I don't think any of those things kind of. You know, it's interesting. Like they're, they're, they're cool to see, but I don't think they really push me to go and spend money on a movie to such. They kind of just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they make me aware of it. And usually these are things that I'm already aware of just because, you know, I'm, you know, into movies and into kind of nerd stuff. So I think for me, you know, trailers are always a biggie for me. And, you know, the, the promotion of trailers and TV spots and having that excitement to, to see them and, you know, going on YouTube and, uh, a new trailer pops up um, on my feed and, and you know, sitting there watching it and being blown away by something that I, I didn't know that was going to come out or, you know, getting a release date, which mm-hmm. is sooner than expected. So for me, I guess it's it's more so the trailers, like the promotion through other methods, like toys, like I'm, I don't really pick up toys until I've seen the movie as such. There might be some rare cases where, you know, a cool toy comes out and it might, make me interested in seeing the movie a little um but i think it's something that i would have i would have gone to see anyway even if the the toy hadn't hadn't come out um as for like advertisements and stuff that pop up on on twitter instagram and stuff like again they're things that kind of just seem to make me aware of the movie that i probably already knew about in the first place um and i can see how it might affect other people who didn't weren't aware of these things or you know they might be looking for something to watch at the weekend and it might you know give them a, a hint of something to see um but yeah like you know even seeing with the nadia across the spider verse seeing some of the marketing the amount of money they've spent on that movie is mm-hmm. is absolutely insane insane they've got these crazy events in america you know they're painting whole buildings to look like something from the Spider-Verse. And, you know, they've got these oh, 3D wow. uh, billboards where, you know, Miles is coming out. Nike have released these, you know, cool the Air, Air Jordans. Jordans. Yeah. Um, and even here, it's everywhere. Like, I'd say it's one of the most... It's promoted here more than The Flash, for sure. Like, you know, everywhere I go, I'm seeing these posters and, you know, seeing people uh, promoting this, this movie. And I... I, I don't know. Like, I don't even know if it's if it's necessary or if it, if it works. I guess maybe in Japan, somewhere where people are less familiar with it, it would be. But, you know, for me, I love to see it because I already know about the movie. And if I if these things weren't around, I'd still be super excited for for the movie. Mm-hmm. However, it's just an announcement I mean, a poster. Yeah, like, just a poster. But the, but the trailers, yeah. for, but the trailers, I mean, once those trailers came mm. out, they did get me really excited for the movie. Yes. Um, and they were the things that made me think I've got to go on day one. Like I've got to be there and see this yeah. on the first day. So I think for me, yeah, it'd have to be the, the, the movie trailers, the TV spots, um, because these days we get as excited for trailers as we do for the movies, right? Like trailer releases are something that are an, they're an event, right? That's it. The Star yeah. Wars ones, are, you know, I'd I'd lock myself in a room and be there for when it drops mm-hmm. and watch it by myself, cry my eyes out. And it's like <laughs> these these trailers are, are as important as the movies. Sometimes the trailers are better than the movies. So that's so I they can are. see how they, they do promote yeah. the movies. But yeah, how about how about you? How do you feel about marketing 
I'm, I'm for the for this kind of tangible piece of of marketing, like the where they pump money into and like the visual parts of it. I would say probably the trailers as well are, are the things that influence me the most as far as getting me from say I'm excited about it to I cannot wait. Like like you, the Star Wars trailers, like that first Force Awakens trailer was a, a it was an event in my house. It was like I watched. And I watch the football game. I don't watch football, but I watch football games. <laughs> I've watched Super Bowls. Super Bowls for the first Avengers trailer actually dropped during the Super Bowl. So it, I always get excited about trailers. And I find that trailers have evolved so much. Like you go back mm-hmm. and watch trailers from the 90s or even the early 2000s. And if they, had, if they don't tell the whole story, they're just like a bunch of things smashed together. They, they just don't do it the same way. And the score of trailers now is so important to me because it really, it touches you from an emotional perspective and it really yanks you in to the movie. Like there's some very subtle keynotes in the rise of Skywalker trailer that touches back on original tones and notes from the, the original star Wars music from John Williams. And that is the piece of it. Like to get me emotionally invested in these movies and to try to express what the tone is going to be. That's what I get from the trailers. And I think that's the most influential piece of it. I think, and there's this idea right there with marketing, especially advertising that we see thousands of ads a day, right? Are we're constantly being just bombarded with advertising, whether it's McDonald's or star Wars or whatever, right? It's always coming at us. And so I think this style of advertising is, is maybe more directed at the general audience than people like us. Yeah. And I think what we're going to go in a minute is like the intangible aspects of of advertising that's what really drive this part or or fandom itself. Like my wife seeing a poster and being like, "Oh, I didn't know that Guardians was coming out in May or whatever," or her seeing something that pops up on Facebook, it probably influences her more or it drives her towards saying like, "Let's go see the trailer" or I saw this advertisement for this rom-com movie and it looked really funny. Let's, let's go make a date night out of it. And so I think that style of, of marketing. And I, I often wonder, is it too much? Like, do they need to spend this amount of money? And of course, someone much smarter than us in marketing has done the math and said, yes, yeah, because why would they invest it? But it just, it's just, it's pretty wild to me, the amount of money that is spent like on television ads and putting up billboards still. Like when I was in LA, in March, there was these, there were beautiful billboards, like the evolution of rocket picture was on a big billboard and all that. And I looked at it and like, it got me excited in the moment. I took a picture of it and I wonder like how much effect do the billboards still have? And I love seeing posters, but I usually see them on Twitter, like digitally. I'm like, Oh, it's a cool poster. And then I use it for, for artwork for one of our uh, episodes. And so that the tangible piece of marketing is, is a bit of a head scratcher to me, but I think it's because we're not the target audience for that that style yeah. of marketing. And it and it's evolved a lot. Like you gotta think like back in the day, you talk about trailers, like back in the day, even you know, what renting a VHS and seeing those trailers before I used to look forward to the trailers before the movie because sometimes oh, yeah. they were the only way that you'd know about these movies that were coming out. Mm-hmm. And even though the trailers weren't great, those trailers still had an impact because they were the one they were the things that introduced you to the upcoming movies yes. um but yeah like you know now that we use things such as streaming uh, platforms such as netflix and and so on and the way we we kind of consume tv as well where we can kind of choose when we watch stuff um you know they can't really use tv commercials so much to promote stuff these days because nobody watches commercials like everyone skips through them no one sits there like they used to and, and go through them so i guess they've had to evolve mm-hmm. the way that they're getting this information to general audiences and that's probably why they put so much effort into big events now they have these events yeah. and you know they have billboards but they're like on the next level and there's just so many of them everywhere and you know social media as well they have to put stuff there and pay for it to go there because they're trying to get it to those general audiences to make them familiar with it you know make them aware of it mm-hmm. and for us again being in that kind of bubble that we're in and being the kind of people we are it's hard for us to to understand it because we're already aware of these things we don't need to be having it you know mm-hmm. sh- shoved down our, our throats but 
you know, for the general audience, they probably weren't aware of these things and, you know, spotting these things around and thinking, oh, well, this must be a big movie because like, I keep seeing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go and see it. Yeah. And that's probably what, you know, th- these marketing companies, you know, how, how they, they see things. They're not really targeting the nerds. They're targeting the general audiences and trying to bring in new new viewers. We're, we're already there in some capacity, right? For most of these films. We're either their opening weekend or a couple weeks after, but eventually we go see them. So the the marketing is really, like you said, driven at the general audience more so. And I liked your point about them, the volume of marketing they see that the GA may equate that directly to how big a film is going to be. They see lots of marketing, they assume it's a big film. Endgame, saw tons of marketing, it must be a huge film. And so that that's an interesting point. Well, they, they're kind really of doing that with the that... Flash as well, right? Like the Flash is everywhere now. It's all over social media. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll talk about word of mouth soon, but they're, I mean, even the fact that they're having all these kind of pre-screenings is a form of marketing. You know, they're having these big events. They're inviting people to see these movies early uh, to to kind of promote it. And then of course it's, you know, that is a, a, a part of, of the marketing for, for this movie. I think, you know, if they didn't really kind of push that here in, in Japan, that movie would not would not get bringing audiences at all. And I think, you mm-hmm. know, they, they're really having to kind of, you know, shove it in people's faces here because a lot of people aren't really aware of it. And just because of the movies that came before it, something like the Snyderverse, um, you know, Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, you know, I, I'm pretty sure most people here have never seen that movie. So for them mm-hmm. to be excited for something like this one, of course we are, but, you know, people who aren't already as aware of, you know, Keaton's Batman and so on, they need that, that marketing needs to be there to make them aware of how big of an event this movie is. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting take. And I really like that because, you know, in the absence of some of that, and I think, you know, you could point at a movie like Solo that maybe failed on that aspect of it. It didn't have this presence to it. And I think when things have a palpable presence in pop culture and then into the GA, people start to, to talk about it in, in general, like where they're saying, ah, this, like I've seen this, or they'll come ask a friend that is in this space, like, what's the deal with this? I keep seeing this everywhere. Why is what's going on here? And yeah, so, but like, you, it's, I mean, it's, you've it's made really a point that. before with like, was it the the Pixar the Disney movies? I think you said that before. Like, there's a, with some of these movies, they just come out and there's just like zero marketing. No, they don't they don't seem to put that much effort yeah. into kind of promoting these movies. And then the movies kind of bomb, or they don't they they're just people. These are great movies that people just don't don't see. You know, Ridley Scott was it? He, he well, stuff about his movie where he's like, you know, no, it made no money in the cinema. No one went to watch it, but he didn't mm. release any any trailers. He didn't promote it. It was never there was no posters. It wasn't anywhere on social media. And again, it was not a bad film. But then he kind of kicking off like, you know, you know, why should I have to promote something so, you know, the um, generation. Or do, who who did he say which generation you know young people have to f- look on their smartphones just to find out about a movie and it's like dude well that's 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 the world we live in now man like that's how people mm-hmm. get their information they don't sit there and watch exactly. tv commercials and they don't go on to you know uh film websites searching for for upcoming movies they have to be told that these movies no. exist and if you don't do that it has then... to be put in front of them to a degree right like it has to be like in the scroll that they stumble across oh oh okay cool like it, it has to be like accessible via the thumb roll that's it yeah scroll like it, it for for people to kind of catch on to some of those things and like and like you said with some of the pixar movies and i think one of the best examples is is the buzz lightyear movie that movie had very limited marketing from at least my what i was seeing and they they didn't say what the story was about like it's a really cool story <laughs> And they didn't they didn't say what it was in the trailer that this is a like spoiler. The movie came out like a year or so ago. But this is a like this is the story that the toy is based off of. Like this is the real life story that the toy is based off of in the Toy Story movies. I think we talked about this before. It's not even it's not even a spoiler, right? It's like it's it's like a spoiler that it's needs like in to the be first spoiled. part of the movie. It's it needs yeah. that is yeah. that is that isn't actually a spoiler. Like it is a it's it's they pose it as a spoiler. They kind of made it into a spoiler, but that should have been the promotion for the, the premise. Movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like like you know, see this toy that we all love that Andy had and all this. This is 
I it was the no, it was the movie, not this the real life story. It was the movie. So it's like us buying Marvel yeah. Legends for Endgame or whatever, or for Star Wars, or like so that character was in a movie. And so Buzz Lightyear was this was the movie that Andy watched that he loved Buzz Lightyear from. Yeah. And like it's such a cool like concept. And it says it right at the start of the movie, and like it puts up and says, like, this is the movie that the or whatever it was. I can't remember. If it's the story or the movie or whatever, no, there's no, like, so I it's think not, a guy, it's, it's, and then there's just, yeah, it's just the it is the movie. I, I forgot how they word it, but it is just like you know, it talks about the toy being popular, and this is the movie it was based on, and that's all it is. It's just yeah. based on the toys based on that movie, and it's great because everybody's mm. done, everybody's had that experience. Everybody has yes. bought a toy based on a movie, so everybody could then yeah. relate to that movie immediately. Yeah, and that was solely missed in in the marketing, and it hurt the film. Yeah, it's a great people like, and I think to degree too in in these trailers and all that, like people are looking for an idea of what to expect, a tone, a a direction. You know, who is this based off? Like, you got to tell a little. You got to give like it's like the back of the book or like the cover of a book. Like you see it, and you're like, yeah, okay, I want to read this. We read a little bit about it. It's like, okay, yeah, I want to get into this. You see a cool scene. Yeah, I want to get into this. And so, like, you, you need that kind of enticement. Or if this is going to be a unique take on something, you need to kind of present that up front. But that's really where we, like, translate over to the intangible pieces of, of marketing, the things that are less directly controlled by an advertising agency or a studio. And that's things like word of mouth critical reviews, the presence of certain directors or actors, which I guess are considered at the front end, but like that has a big influence on some people like, oh, Tom Cruise is in this or back in the 90s, oh, Will Smith is in this, I'm going to see it, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like that generation built a movie industry off of actors and not specifically characters. We've kind of gone away from that a little bit where people are going for the, the characters and less so the actors. And then there's other things like, connected sort to connection to source material. So an adaptation of something that was loved or beloved. There's also legacy stories like the MCU style of, of storytelling in universe storytelling or nostalgia. Oh, the turtles are coming back. I'm going to see them because I love the Ninja Turtles from the nineties. This feels like that. And so there's those, those pieces that, like I said, are intangible marketing pieces, but they are things that drive people. And I think those are things that drive people like you and I a bit more it's less so about the big bombastic in your face things. And it's more about the nuanced things like the word of mouth is so important. Mm -hmm. And that's even translating into like the GA word of mouth. Oh, Guardians is great. Guardians is great. It has a wonderful hold at the box office. You got people going back for repeat viewings. You got people going that, you know, were originally waiting for Disney plus and say, ah, I should probably experience this. And so of those like intangible pieces, like, are you, if you see Robert Downey Jr. is going to be in this movie, does that get you in the theater? Like, or are you more kind of on the the word of mouth, or do you have a critic that you follow that says if he says yeah thumbs thumbs way up, I'm gonna go see this movie. Like, how how are you influenced from that side of of the the less strict or traditional marketing and more of kind of like that gorilla piece of it? Um, well, that's a difficult question too, mainly because I think I mean these are things that definitely are more influential for me. Um. Just because, as mm. you know, as we said before, we're people who know these these movies, these shows are coming out, and um, it's then getting the response of how good are they, and is you, is it worth me going to see them? Uh, it depends a lot on the the movie. I think you know if it's a certain franchise. Just for example, if you take Star Wars, I have such a kind of strong connection to Star Wars that it doesn't really mm. matter um, what it's about. And what it looks like, you know, it's it's a Star Wars movie that's coming out. I'm definitely gonna go and see that movie. So I have that connection to to that franchise. And then there are sometimes certain directors that bring me in. You know, if you no know, Christopher Nolan's gonna release a movie or Denis Villeneuve is gonna release a movie, I'm definitely gonna see this movies because I've enjoyed and I've loved every single one of those those past movies. Um, whereas in some cases, if it's a movie that I'm not that connected to or if it's a movie that i'm a little bit more unsure about i do you know i do think word of mouth plays a big part for me um just mm. because you know i belong to this this great twitter community that we're in and there's a lot of people you know you've I've built connections with uh, have we have all our, our friendships 
uh, and we kind of know what each other, what we all like. And there's certain people that we can kind of relate to and we like the same kind of things. So often when they talk about something that they really like or they've something that they've seen, then that does then influence me to to kind of rush out and then see that movie too. Um, but I think there's there's so many different factors, like even movie reviews. You know, I, I, I was saying to you earlier, I mean, I see people on on Twitter recently saying things like, you know, I don't pay any attention to Rotten Tomato scores anymore. And, you know, I just watch the movie and decide for myself. And I'm like, I don't even know if that's possible. Like, if you can make a decision, if you can, like, I mean, we're busy people. We're, you know, full-time parents and full-time employees. And, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I want to come home and I want to put on a move, new movie and I want to watch a good movie. And before I do that, I check if it's a good movie and I look at different sources and I might look at reviews on different websites and I might look at the opinions of different people. I might even watch a little YouTube uh, review or interview or something. But, you know, I don't want to sit down and get an hour into a movie and like, man, this movie is terrible. And I have to sit through the other hour wasting my time. So, you know, I and as well, like because of the kind of people we are and we like to share our feelings about movies and we like to see things that are current and we like to be part of the hype as well. Like I don't want to kind of miss out on stuff. So again, like hearing what other people feel about certain things uh, and, you know, watching movies quite early on is quite big for me, especially if it's going to be a, a good movie. So I think there's like so many different factors that kind of influence um, and bring me into certain mm. movies. I think the the strongest connection of all is, you know, my uh, long lasting connection with something like Star Wars or like a Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Um, when it comes to stuff now, like, you know, it used to be back in the day with the MCU stuff. I used to rush to go and see these. And these days it's kind of like, you know, I will probably watch most of them in the cinema, but like I don't rush to see a lot of them now. And I do tend to wait until I hear critical responses from from people, from critics and from audiences. Um, but again, like that's a, it's, it's an interesting time we live in because even the way these reviews work these days, it's, it's hard to rely and trust it on anything, you know, between websites, you know, have people review bombing movies over stupid things. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have critics giving positive reviews on stuff, because of a certain outlook that the movie presents or you know before because they feel like it will get a bigger response from audiences you know sometimes critics these days create uh, are giving negative reviews because they know it'll get them more attention and it's negative attention but it's more attention for them and they get you know they get more clicks and that's that's it so these days it's it's hard it's tough to decide who who's who's telling the truth and and whose opinions to to kind of align with um and that's why like word of mouth is good for for me through twitter just because of the community that we belong mm. to you know if you tell me a, a movie's you see a movie and it's great then i'm definitely gonna go and watch that movie um so that influence of of kind of your friends and people who are kind of like-minded people um I, does does play a big part but how, how do you feel what do you think yeah, I'm very much kind of in the same space as you. I think that from from just to touch on the critical review piece of it, I'd like to think that I can separate myself from it. But there's definitely been times I've read a negative review and I've gone into the movie being like, all right, here we go. I guess I'm just going to endure. And I've waited for like a bad part and never really found it. And so like it's influenced how I experience the movie. And so I don't think it, it changes specifically whether I'm going to go or not, because most of the comic book movies, and less so what we have coming out now, because it's so there's so much of it. But most of the comic book movies I'll go see just because of the connection to them through the pod and through the community and kind of a legacy thing. I think I might be mistaken, but I think I've seen every single MCU film since the first Avenger in theaters. I might have missed one in there, but I don't think so. So that that has that plays a big piece into it. Like like you with Star Wars, I'm the same way. Like I won't miss a Star Wars movie in theaters. Like any Star Wars movie that, that comes out that I am around for, I will, will go see it. And it might not be immediate anymore, like first day or first night or whatever, but I will definitely go see it in the theaters. And so th- there's that piece that influences me. But I think that goes back to kind of this aspect of like who we are and how we consume and and all that. And I I think 
the biggest piece of it is probably word of mouth for me. And like, there's a few people I trust and like you, I don't, I have a very finite amount of time that I can squeeze in certain things like this. And so when I'm going to the movies, when I'm sitting down, I have to like you make sure that I'm watching something that is, that is worthwhile. I don't have the ability just to like consume everything and make my own decision. I just don't have time to see everything. And, and so like, I, there's a few people I trust like Zeddy and the Caruso's and all that Carlos, like I trust those guys to kind of help guide a little so, bit about Sunny, the things Sanjay? that maybe Sunjay, Sunny, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, and he does a lot of like older stuff and all that. But he, uh, there's, there's definitely people out there that I, I rely on to be like, all right, you should probably, probably go see this. And mm. and like their hype level and like with the Batman, with everybody in the Flash, with these guys, and so that that probably influences me the most. Like making my decision: do I need to go see this in theaters, or can I wait for this to come out on Max or? disney plus or something like that right and so th- it's it's funny because like as we're having this conversation i still i don't have i think like the way i consume is kind of set inside this box and and the less it's marketed as this massive event thing that is adjacent to the movies that we normally consume i think i'm like i have the i'm going anyway like anyways right like mm. like i know i said i'll probably see fast x probably not gonna see it i'd like to see transformers but probably gonna wait to see it I'll probably see like in June, I'll probably see maybe across the spider verse. I'll see flash and I'll see Indy. Mm-hmm. Like those two last ones are, are just cause they're franchises I'm connected to. So it's interesting that maybe, maybe marketing doesn't have the same effect on, on us as it does other people. And so like, maybe that's why I'm always questioning like, what you spent $200 million on what? Just put a trailer out and call it a day. Yeah. So, but and we have to be careful as well that the things that we we kind of that influences i think that's one thing you know a lot of us have kind of realized um over time is you know you have these sometimes expectations from from you know word of mouth and reviews because we all we all mm-hmm. kind of like different things to a degree there are certain things that we we don't always agree on and you know sometimes that people are hyping up a movie and you, you see like with the flash like there's so much hype behind this movie and i'm a little worried Mm-hmm. Because I know I'm going to enjoy it, but sometimes when you hear too much and it's in your face all the time that this is a great movie, you have to see this movie, it's the best movie, it's a perfect movie, and you go into the movie and it's not exactly what you were expecting, it can, it, it, it has, but it has an effect, you know, like I think if you go in those movies and you don't hear all these things, you kind of have a little bit more control over, over your own judgment of, of that movie. You know, I think I probably didn't like Black Adam as much as I didn't like it just because of how much Carlos liked that movie. Cause I wanted to like it as much mm. as he did. And like, you know, maybe I went in there thinking like, what's wrong with people? Why are people liking this? And I'm maybe if I just gone in it's, there it's... not knowing anything, I would have probably not criticized it as much. Cause I wasn't expecting it to be something so, mm. so special. Ex- expectations are a very dangerous thing for movies. Very dangerous. They are, Especially yeah. for, for your, like word, like what it's traditionally related to, like word of mouth and your legs on a movie, the the longevity of it and the rewatchability of it. Expectations, like like great example is of course the Last Jedi. Like expectations were sky high, and you walk, and I walked out, I was like, man, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> <laughs> but I had one of the best, one of the best movie experiences. Of, it wasn't like when I went into a cinema on day one of Last Jedi. I was, there was only two foreigners in the whole cinema. Everyone was Japanese and it was me. And I sat down and there was a girl, American girl sitting next to me. We didn't even know each other. We're the only two foreign people in the whole cinema. And we watched the movie and the movie ended. And she looked over, turned to me and she just said, what the F was that? (laughs) It was just me. (laughs) I'm, I'm already trying to process what I've just watched. And I'm kind of like, just like, what, what, what's going on? And then she just turns to me and says that. And I'm like, <laughs> just no, nobody has ever spoken to me in a cinema before. And it, that was my first experience from this like American girl who got the pen next to <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, man, that's great. Well, well, well let's, let's explore us a little more through, through the listeners. So if you, if you guys got any insight into this, it'd be, it'd be really great. Cause I'd love to know if the $200 million being spent on these budgets are 
like they like I said, they must be worth it. Someone's done the math somewhere, and someone much smarter than us is. Dude, they should just pay Zeddy. They but... should pay Zeddy like to market these movies. <laughs> that guy's like posted like a thousand plus flash posts on Twitter. Like he's done all the marketing for that movie. One hundred percent. Yeah, he's getting great response from it too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, let us let us know what what influences you from a marketing perspective on films. Is it is it the stuff that comes out of our mouths here on this podcast, or is it the trailers? Is it your connection to stories? Is it TV commercials? Like you know, they throw things up on football games because people are watching them live, so they're going to be there tuned in. There's a reason they don't show up on on like syndicated TV because not a lot of people are watching that. So let us know there, guys. Give us an email at nerdm@gmail.com. And and or hit us up on Twitter. Handles are at the end of the episode. And just just let us know what you think about the marketing of movies and what influences you. Because it's an interesting conversation and it's an interesting kind of insight here. Because this is something that we're exposed to every single day of our lives. It was one advertising, and two for a lot of us, it is is movie marketing and what's coming next and and how to get people into these seats to make sure that these films get sequels and these films get franchises and they're successful and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. lots of fun, Ian, man. appreciate you always jumping in here and doing your co-hosting duties and just having a great Tuesday night conversation with me, man. It's, it's always a pleasure. Man, always a good time. Yeah, I always look forward to, to these chats. Um, and yeah, you know, I was, I was saying before, I've been a bit sick of the last few days, but just knowing I was going to come on the show, hang out with you, use all the medicine I needed and feeling tip-top yeah. today. So uh, yeah, thanks good good chat and always a good time always a good time man and there it is for for all you listeners that's all you need to feel better it's just your weekly injection of the nerd room and you're uh, <laughs> you're good to go you're good to go so guys if you'd like to find anything or everything we do you can go over to the nerdroom.net and like i said handles are at the end of the episode and uh, we really appreciate you guys coming back here every single week to talk a little bit of nerd with us take a break from the everyday take a break from real life for just a moment and on your commute or washing the dishes, whatever you're doing while you're listening to this, we appreciate you. And you know what that means? That means that we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in it for this week. So, with all that being said, for the nerd room, I'm Tim, and I'm Ian. Thank you guys so much for entering the nerd room. This has been a nerd room podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim and Carlos on Twitter at the NerdRM and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out thenerdroom.net and The Nerd Room YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room.